Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. What's up, friends? Graham Bolton here. So good to have you here with us today for another great episode of the Speaker Lab podcast. My guest today is a third timer on the show. My friend John Acuff is here to talk about what his speaking business is looking like in 2021 and to share with us what he has discovered as he was writing his new book on overthinking limiting beliefs called Soundtracks. The book is out now. The insights John shares from it in this conversation are so good. I really love the idea of turning overthinking into a superpower. John has done some really, uh, really great research and kind of digging into this and share some really good insights today. Uh, so I think you're really going to enjoy what he what he talks about as it relates to to imposter syndrome, learning from bombing on stage, preparing for giving a talk, and how he handles fear. John is uh, such a fantastic communicator, one of my favorite speakers. If you've never heard him share his ideas and stories before, be prepared to laugh, take a lot of notes. This is an awesome episode. Let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with New York Times bestselling author and speaker, John Aka. Enjoy. What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, we are joined by uh, my friend and friend of the program, Mr. John Acuff, uh, that we've had on the show a couple of times. I looked it up here. Had him on back in 167, several years ago, talking about social media and how you use that for uh, booking gigs. And then also uh, last year in the uh, the summer of the pandemic, uh, episode 294, talking about pivoting to virtual speaking. So uh, first of all, let's jump back in there, kind of pick up where we left off. So uh, we last talked uh, for, the, for the podcast almost a year ago and this was kind of in the summer of the world falling apart the speaking industry yeah. was changing radically how did the rest of 2020 play out for you and now that we're a couple months into 2021 uh how has the because speaking is a big big part of your business and totally. so how has things shifted and changed uh since we last had you on the on the on the show well, fortunately, the pandemic ended right when I thought it would, which was early summer. So everything returned to normal <laughs> and people just started right on schedule. Like, yeah, right on schedule. So everything was good. Um, no, I mean, I think a lot of it continued how we thought at that point where um, I'm starting to see live events come back. I've done, you know, I did one maybe a month ago. I've got a bunch more planned this fall. So I'm starting to see that kind of open up. Um, but I would say the rest of the year, I really focused on virtual. I've probably done 40 or so virtual events, um, worked on a studio, did kind of, you know, really went into a virtual um, presentation and figured out how to do that. Um, launched a podcast. I've got a podcast called All It Takes is a Goal about goal setting and goal accomplishing. And so I really focused on a bunch of new ideas as the world was on pause, if you will. Yeah. I know we, uh, we had talked about it, um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were hanging out in person, uh, here in the Nashville area. And, uh, you had mentioned that you had been doing a lot of virtual. It wasn't the same, but, uh, as far as being in, in person with people, but how do you see virtual fitting into your business long-term? Are you just buying time as far as like, man, I just want to get this over with so I can get back to in-person or you feel like, no, there's, there's real staying power here. And this is going to be around for a while. 
I think it's going to be around. I think the cat's out of the bag. I think pe- that's a question people keep talking about. I've heard a bunch of times where people say, what's going to stay the same? What's going to go back to normal? Um, and I think that you'll, you'll forever have virtual be a part of an event. Um, even if it's a live event, it used to, we talked about this, I think it used to be that the live stream was like the forgotten annoying thing. You're like, yeah, "Yeah, we got a live stream link. Good luck finding it. Doesn't work. Like we spent $9 on it. Those days are gone. Like there will be the expectation of, okay, I can attend virtually. Right. And so there will be people, I believe in a room. Um, I've heard event planners say like decision makers will be in the room. And then people who are on the fringe will watch the event virtually. So I think it'll always be there. Um, I'll always offer it as something I do. Um, when a client says, Hey, we want you to do, you know, here's what we need. Here's the budget we have. And it's a virtual event. Like, I think we'll always do those, but yeah, that, that technology, we, you know, and that option and what we're able to do with it. I don't think it'll ever go away at this point. Do you find, do you think that you will be doing less live gigs in order to do more virtual gigs? No, I mean, I, I still think I'll lean toward live. Um, I, you know, I love, I love live gigs. If there was an event tomorrow, I'd be on a plane to that event. Yeah. Um, so no, I don't think I'll, I don't think I'll have to choose an either, or I think it's going to be an and situation. Like, like a lot of entrepreneurs, if you're a public speaker, you're an entrepreneur. If you're a musician, you're an entrepreneur. So um, I, you know, I heard Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters say like, oh, we thought virtual concerts were dumb at the beginning. And now we're like, these are awesome. Like we love yeah. these, we figured this out. So yeah, I think I'll always do them. Um, and then, you know, it, it, they do have benefits. Like you don't travel, you can do multiple clients in the same day. Um, you can get interaction via Q and a, like there's something I, like Q and a goes better virtually because it's hard for someone who's introverted or even someone who's extroverted to walk up to a mic or raise their hand yeah. and get thrown like the mic. Like that's challenging. It's intimidating. You don't want to say the wrong thing, but in a virtual setting, you can type in a, you know, you can send in a question, you can do a poll. So there's benefits. So I think, I think it's like anything else. If a business discovers there's benefits, they're going to keep using that thing as long as there's benefits. We touched on this a second ago, but pre-COVID, uh, speaking was a, a big, big part of your business, a big part of your world. Everything changes. Are there, are there anything that you'll shift in terms of your business model going forward uh, as far as offstage and, and beyond just speaking? Because again, so much stuff was radically changed that I think so many speakers now are going like, okay, knowing what I know now, uh, what will I do differently, if anything? Well, I'm, I think I'm going to lean more into systems. Like I want to have you know, because I had a lot of gigs coming in, I didn't have to do some of the system work to have a foundation because it was going well. And so then when live events got put on pause, I had the space and the necessity to go, I'm going to build some right systems that maybe are just back, you know, behind the scenes that nobody sees, but there, but when public speaking returns, it's going to go so much better, whether that's a customer service, you know, system so that Mm -hmm. I can make sure that I'm super serving the client after the event whether that's a content creation system so that when I create an idea, I make sure it goes to the 10 places I'm trying to take it to, or that's a podcast. Like I'm leaning into my podcast. Like I've, you know, we joked before we started that I have a mic now. And I was like, yeah, I actually have a mic because I did a podcast a few years ago, but I was super half done and lazy and I didn't work at it. And now I'm putting a ton of effort, a ton of work into having an awesome podcast. So I think there's, there's business side things like that, but there's also system stuff that, when live events come back, I want them to find me as an even better business owner. Um, I've always felt good about my ability to deliver on stage. I want to make sure that I'm delivering off stage too. 
How much of a factor do you think that is when, in terms of like when working with clients? Because I've always made the point that if you're amazing on stage, but you're a pain in the butt to work with off stage, and by pain in the butt, I don't mean that you're a prima donna, that you're a diva or something, or you're demanding your your jar yeah. of red skittles, but just you're unorganized, you're sloppy, you're not doing what you said you're going to do, you're not following through, you're not showing up when you said you'd be there. How much of that do you find is a factor with clients that want to or don't want to work with you again in the future? It's a huge factor. I mean, it reminds me there was a dentist I know. Um, that not, is not in Nashville. I love my dentist in Nashville. Shout out Dr. Wells. I've done like four or five speaking events via that relationship. Like he's really? amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He's amazing. Um, genuinely he's amazing. And so, but I, there was a dentist I knew that was an amazing dentist and a terrible business owner. So you'd show up and be like, you'd have a, this is like 20 years ago, a postcard that's like, Hey, I'm here for my appointment. They'd be like, we don't have that on our records. And so like he didn't, he was an artist at the, yeah, yeah. the dentistry part, didn't run a business. So for me, I think that's a hundred percent because I, you and I hear the same stories where somebody will go, yeah, we tried to book that speaker, but their assistant was really difficult and never got back to us. So we weren't able to. Like, yeah. and you go, that assistant is keeping that speaker or, and the speaker being lazy and not really managing and directing the assistant. Like, yeah, you're losing, you're a hundred percent losing gigs. I think the other side of it is when you super serve people after an event, it turns into additional gigs. That's what's yeah, really yeah. fun is where somebody goes, Oh, that's right. So what I saw during COVID was if I would pop in and go, Hey, I'll do a 15 minute team encouragement. I've got an idea that I'd love to share with your team. And I do that for free for certain clients that often would turn into gigs down the road because I had super served them and they were reminded, Oh, that's right. We, we had John two years ago. It was really fun. Like we want to, you know, he's good virtually like let's, let's book him. So I think little things like that go a long way. Yeah. And it's a good reminder uh, that as a speaker, whenever you're speaking at a, an in-person or a virtual gig, that there are thousands of moving pieces that the event planner is trying to juggle and keep up with. And the speaker, you, no matter how big of a deal any of us think we are, we're just one part of a whole bunch of moving pieces. So the easier you can make things for the event planner, the easier you can make their life, the more they're just like, that, that speaker was okay on stage, but they're so good to work with. Yeah. I want to work with that speaker again. Yeah. I always, the joke I always do is like, some, sometimes you're the guy carrying the plate of chicken, like at a wedding, nobody is like, man, that guy that brought in the chicken was awesome. Like, but like, yeah. you're right. There's a hundred. I'm not there to look good. I'm there to make the CEO look good. Yep. The audience yep. be served. The event planner look good. So if I do my job, they all win. Like I'm only there. The way I say it to event planners is I'm there for 30 minutes. You're there all year. So like, how do I make you look like a rock star? You, you know, like, and if you can, if I can shift my perspective, it just reminds me, Will Hoag's a musician in Nashville. Um, and I asked him years ago, I was like, what's the most important thing a young musician needs to know? And he said, how to, how to back up and unload a 12 foot trailer. And I loved that. <laughs> and like, cause we want the spotlight moments, but yeah. dude, most dreams, whether it's to be a public speaker, an author, a musician, uh, you know, own a business, there's so many trailer moments and um, you really have to kind of learn how to like those and not get entitled and oh, I shouldn't have to do this. Oh, like, no, you're going to have a lot of those and that's how it's supposed to be. All right. So that end, and I, we're going to talk about the, the new book here in just a second, but tell us about, uh, I didn't prep you for this at all, but tell us about, uh, there's an infamous picture of you. Um, and I think you were at an event, you're going to do a workshop or something. This was early, early days and it's an empty room and you passing out Skittles or something like that. Yeah. So talk about like, what was that trailer moment for you then? Yeah. So I actually put that story in the new book. So it's a good transition. Um, this was like 2008 and I wasn't, I just knew I could be a speaker like, but I had no evidence yet. Like I yep. had a thought, which was all I needed to get started. 
And so I said, I'm going to do a meetup. Um, it was at Catalyst. Catalyst was this big conference in Atlanta. And I wasn't even speaking there. Like nobody knew I was a speaker yet except me. And I was like, I'm going to figure this out. And so I was like, I asked Catalyst if I could have an empty room to do a meetup. And they were like, yeah, sure, totally. They were super kind. Um, Brad Lominick is the one who let me do it. And so I printed a thousand stickers, dude. Like my in-laws were like, oh yeah, well, like I think they bought the stickers for me. They're super kind and like, I brought all these Skittles and I like was expecting tons of people and dude, 90 minutes, two people showed up. And one was my friend, Mike, who was just like, Hey buddy, it's okay. And the other one was like a dad who walked in and was like, I don't read your blog, but my daughter does here. Call her. I had like an awkward 30 second <laughs> phone call. And then he left. And then I sat there and I had my friend take a photo of it because I wanted to share the experience with other people because it was a failure moment. And we tend to hide those. Yeah. And I, I'd much rather go like, yeah, like this happened. And like, if you think you're going to arrive and not have those, like you're going to like, right. we all have book signing lines where there's four people. We all have events that, you know, there's less people that show up. And then the fun thing was years and years and years and years later, I was doing a keynote in that same arena. And I was like 500 yards from that spot and nobody knew about me, but I was like, Oh, that's right. I'm now in front of 8,000 people. And years ago I was in front of two like, yeah. and, and you just keep working on these things, you know? So yeah, that was a funny moment though. It was definitely humbling. Definitely. Uh, like I had more skit. I, my wife was like, I, I think you have enough Skittles. I was like, nah, there's going to be so <laughs> many people there. Like keep buying Skittles, please. So you can never funny. have enough Skittles <laughs> yeah, or stickers. Yeah. I came home with so like, I'm sure I still have those stickers. Like, that's, gosh, that's amazing. All right. Let's segue. Let's talk about the, uh, the new book, new book out now, uh, soundtracks, the surprising solution to overthinking. Uh, and I think this ties in a little bit, uh, to what we just kind of covered and talked about where, especially early on for you as, a, as a potential speaker, as a wannabe speaker going like, yeah. I think I've got something here. And I, I felt like that early on as well of going like, I had the potential, but I needed the plan. I knew I was a yeah. decent speaker, not the world's best speaker, but I knew there was something there. Mm -hmm. And I knew I was interested enough and had enough potential to do this. But then you also start having the, the, internal dialogue and the internal conversations of like, who are you to think that you're going to fill a oh, room yeah. or that you should be up on stage? Cause we've all been in the audience before being like, well, if that clown up there can do it, oh, I can yeah. certainly do that. Yeah. So totally. kind of talk us through the book. And then what are some of the, these, the overthinking obstacles that, that, that speakers commonly run into? Yeah. So the, the concept of the book uh, soundtracks, that's just my phrase for a repetitive thought. Um, and I define overthinking as when what you think it's in the way of what you want. Um, and it steals time, creativity, and productivity as you just kind of spin on this thought. And so the concept of the book is a lot of books are like, hey, just stop it, stop it, stop it. Um, but my thought is, why would I ever turn off this amazing thinking machine? Like, I'm really good at thinking. What if I just fed it with the right thoughts instead of the wrong ones? Like thoughts that helped me, not th thoughts that hurt me. And so in 2008, you know, I had a, a day job I was working in. Uh, I was a tech writer, essentially, for a, for a software company. And I had a blog that I was writing on the side and a, an event planner said, Hey, would you come speak? And I had no evidence. Like I hadn't done any paid speaking gigs. I didn't even know that was a career. Like I had no evidence. All I had a th was a thought that was like, I think I can do that. And that became a soundtrack for me. I think I can become a public speaker. I think I can become an author. And then the goal of any good thought is it leads to good actions, which leads to good results. And so that's what I started to do is to say, okay, I don't know how to do this yet, but I think I can do it. And that thought's going to propel me into taking the actions I need. And eventually the results will be there if I'm faithful to the thoughts, if I'm faithful to the actions. And I think imposter syndrome is definitely something that gets in the way of speakers. Um, I had somebody the other day ask me that. She said, how do you get over imposter syndrome? 
And I said, well, that's, that's a broken soundtrack. You trade the word over for through. Over is a word of perfectionism, as if you do it once and there's a wall and you climbed over it. Like through is you're going to go through it. You're going to go through fear. You're going to go through challenges. And you just know that and you prepare for that and you walk through that. So for me, I've written seven books, like a couple of New York Times bestsellers. Like I've been successful as an author, but I still feel like I'm not a real author some days. I still struggle with imposter syndrome, but I don't right. try to get over it because I'd feel like a failure every time it came back because, oh, I thought I got over it. I go through it and I work on it. So that's, I would say that's definitely one of the soundtrack, like the broken soundtracks or overthinking that gets in the way of speakers is that idea of who am I to do this? Somebody else is further along. Um, they're going to find out I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not, I don't know everything. Um, you know, and, and I think, and, or just comparison, you look at another speaker and go, okay, that speaker is amazing. And, and sometimes we look at people that do things we're not supposed to do. Like mm -hmm. I'm not a subject matter expert. If somebody said, we want you to come in and talk about the long-term forecasting of offshore loans for a shipping industry, I'd be like, I don't know. You shouldn't, there's definitely a dude or a woman. I don't know what amazing. you just said. I don't know what those words are. Like it's not failure that I can't do that. That's a different right. type of speaking. I do keynotes and there's humor and, and practical ideas and they're fun handles. Like that's what I do. So I think sometimes as a speaker, if you compare yourself to the wrong thing, then you can kind of get stuck overthinking, trying to go, I need to become like that person versus just developing your own strengths. Hey friends, do you know the five steps to book more gigs and get paid as a speaker? Well, if not, listen up because these same five steps to help me to grow a seven-figure speaking career are all laid out in great detail in my latest book, The Successful Speaker. Five steps for booking gigs, getting paid, and building your platform. Whether you want to speak as a side hustle or your dream is to become a full-time professional speaker, I know what it takes. I share all of that with you in this definitive step-by-step -step roadmap. Let me be your guide. Learn from my mistakes. Get paid what you know you're worth to share your unique message on stage. If you want to read the first chapter for free or just check out the book, go to thespeakerlab.com slash book. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash book. Check out your copy of The Successful Speaker. But you kind of touched on it that early on, especially for you, and there's, there's a lot of speakers who are listening who are in those early stages of going like, I want to do that first gig or I've done that first gig. And there's the voice in our head going like, you can do this, you can do this, you have what it takes to be a speaker. But then the louder soundtrack is, what the heck are you like? No, you can't do that. Like, let's, let's come back to reality of all the things that you touched on, as well as just the practical implications of you have a family, you have obligations, you have financial responsibilities, you uh, can't leave your day job, you need insurance, all these things that immediately bring us back down. So are all of those, those negative voices, um, uh, do those ever fully go away? Uh, is there a way to go? How do we continue to go through them? Because it seems like it's just a, it's a never ending cycle. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's, um, it takes time to replace them. The book, the concept of the book is pretty simple. It's, you do three things. You retire broken soundtracks, you replace them with new ones and you repeat them so often they become as automatic as the old ones. It's like anything else. It's like if somebody says, Hey, you know, I'm trying to lose weight, but it's not working for me. And I'll go, well, how long have you been trying? They'll say 10 days. And I'll say, well, how long did it take you to gain the weight? And they'll say 10 years. And I'll go, you're being really mean to yourself. So if a speaker, if a speaker said to me, Hey, I want to do what you do. I want to do it full time. I'd be like, awesome. It's amazing. I think it's the best job in the world. Like I genuinely believe that. Like I love it, love it, love it. And then I would walk them through the process and say, okay, 
here's some things you need to think about. Um, if you hear the word never, always, forever, like it's probably a broken soundtrack. If, so, if you are hearing your, if you're telling yourself, I'll never be a public speaker, it's definitely a broken soundtrack. Or I'll always, you know, have to do a bunch of things that I don't want to do and only get to do speaking a little bit. It's probably a bo broken soundtrack, but it's going to take time to learn some new ones. So like for me right here on my wall, I'll just pull it off. I have a note card that says, ask for more. I wrote that on August 27th, 2020, ask for more because I needed a new soundtrack when I was in negotiations. I found myself undervaluing my work in negotiations. And so I realized I need a soundtrack that reminds me it's okay to ask for more. It's actually good to ask for more. You know, like I didn't just say, I hope I remember that because I know I won't because I've got evidence of 10 years of broken soundtracks going, no, you shouldn't charge. You shouldn't charge. You shouldn't charge as much. You shouldn't charge. What if they think it's too much? No, no, no. If I'm going to replace it with something that's true and helpful, then I need a visual reminder. So that's part of it. You work at your thoughts. The problem is most people don't understand they can choose their thoughts. And so they just kind of let their thoughts happen. And once mm -hmm. you discover... I get to choose my thoughts. I get to control my thoughts. And when I do, it changes my actions. Then you start to see life change. But it starts with you admitting thoughts are something I hone, not something I have. Like they don't just show up on their own accord. Um, like I have to work at it. And that's the funny thing is like fear comes free. Faith takes work. Like you'll never have to go find a negative thought. It will find you. You've never had to say, on Tuesday, I'm going to remember something dumb I said three years ago. Like that'll do it on its own. Like those will show up. <laughs> but the positive side of things, the moving forward side of things, that takes you being intentional. That takes repetition. Um, and that's a challenge. So, I mean, for some people like the, those internal negative soundtracks are things that, again, we kind of bring up on our own and some of them that we've lived with for our entire lives, maybe something that we grew up with, something that happened to us in a, as, as a child or teenager or whatever. Uh, are there some negative soundtracks that are just harder to overcome than others? hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, I was thinking about one of mine recently where um, anytime I try to learn something new, I feel, I hear this soundtrack that says, you should already know how to do this. Like you should already know how to, everybody else yeah. knows how to do this. And then I shut down and don't want to learn the new thing. Cause I feel like I, oh, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I should already know how to do this. Like I can't ask for help. I can't take time. And I have to actively go, no, I shouldn't. Like, it's like, I shouldn't know how to be amazing at podcasting. I've only done like 10 episodes. Like yeah. it's okay. Like give my, give myself some patience and some grace and some time to develop. Um, so yeah, I think some are more tenacious than others. I think there's some that you recognize and go, Oh, that's ridiculous. Like, no, that's not true. The three questions I teach in the book that you should ask any loud soundtrack, not every thought we have too many thoughts to try to analyze them all. That'd be exhausting. You take your loudest soundtracks and you ask, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it kind? So is it true? The thing that I'm telling myself, is it helpful? I mean, does it move me forward or pull me back? Um, and is it kind? Am I being kind to myself with this soundtrack? And if you're not, there's a chance you should retire that one. But yeah, I think some are harder to retire than others. Definitely. I remember you and I, uh, again, when we were, we were talking a couple of weeks ago and one of the things that we were kind of joking about is every entrepreneur, every speaker, every author, anybody that you look up to, you admire, you respect, we're all making it up as we go. Like we do our best and we still have the doubts and insecurities and fears. So just like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no clue if this is going to work. So do you feel like, again, for, for outside looking in, people assume, again, John, very successful speaker, very successful author, New York Times bestseller, big following, yada, yada, yada. But do those doubts, those insecurities, those fears, those soundtracks for you, are they still there? Are they just yeah, quieter? Do totally. they ever go away? Totally. I mean, I look at it like this because like sometimes I'll hear people be like, 
you can be fearless. And I think that's ridiculous. Like whenever somebody tells me you can be fearless, I'm like, that is not, that is so unhelpful and so not true. Here's kind of my perspective on it. At every new level, you do something new, there's new fear. Like, and there's, and you can just call it anxiety, stress, whatever. But, you know, when I spoke to 10 people for the first time, I had 10 person size fear and I worked on it and I got over it. And then hundred people, oh my gosh. And then a thousand people. Like I remember the first time I spoke to 10,000 people, Carlos Whitaker's wife, Heather Whitaker, as I was 30 seconds from going up on stage, was like, hey, you missed some belt loops in your belt, your <laughs> jeans. And I was like, yeah, like I had 10,000 person fear. And so like at every level you, you try something new, I think you see a new fear and you go, okay, I gotta, I gotta deal with that. I gotta figure that out. Like what is, you know, what, what is that gonna do? How do I grow that? What did I learn? So yeah, I mean, for me, I don't, yeah, I, I still have a lot of those. I just now am like, there's moments where I kind of relate it to like, I just tell myself like, okay, strap me in this roller coaster. Like, let me get it, like strap me down. Cause in 30 seconds, I'm going to change my mind. Like, lock me in, lock me in. You know, like when they're putting a harness on you and then you're just like, it's too late. This roller coaster is leaving. Like I can't change my mind. So there's things I'll do where I'll, I'll commit to something that I know is beyond my current abilities. And then I'll know that I'll stretch to get there. But like, right. I have to do it and I have to say, okay, let me locked in, like, get me locked in so that I have to do it. Like, and then I know, okay, I'm committed now. There's momentum now, even if I'm scared, even if I'm afraid, like this thing's in motion. So like, yeah. this is happening. Like, this is a thing that's, you know, this is, this is going to happen and it's going to be messy. And I mean, one of my, one of my soundtracks in the book that I teach people is momentum is always messy. Like, cause we think that it like momentum is clean and structured. It's not, it's always messy. And yeah. like, if you, if you think it's not, then you show up and it's messy and you feel like a failure. But if you can tell yourself, no, it's, it's always messy. That's great. The mess is a sign of progress. Like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm headed in the right direction. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's how I think, but yeah, if there's, I don't know, maybe there, I feel like everyone else has, sometimes I feel like everyone else has a roadmap or like a rule book that I just wasn't given. And I'm the only one making up. And then you get like, you talk to somebody off usually off camera and you're like, Hey, how did you do that thing? If they're honest, I'll go, dude, we totally stumbled into that. Like, it oh, you're clueless too. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It worked really well. But like, I think we think as speakers, we have to have this sheen on us where it's like, Oh, I got it all figured out. And what I, I mean, for me, the more I'm able to go like, nah, like, here's what I learned, but like, and here's why I did it. And here's what happened. And it ended up positive, but I didn't think it was going to be, you know, like, I think right. if we're honest, it goes so much better. So how much of that also happens to you while you're on stage? Meaning that, uh, I think a lot of times the, a misconception or people assume like, oh, you're a professional speaker. You've done this for a long time. Surely you don't get nervous or surely you don't have those again, kind of internal dialogues of, uh, er, 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 that every joke lands and every joke is perfect. And every story is, uh, the audience is always with you. And there's times where it's like, even at, at your level, uh, my suspicion would be you still bomb. And there's still times where you're like, you come away from a gig, like I, what happened there? Right. So how much of the, those internal soundtracks also happen to you while you're speaking, whether that's, uh, wondering if the audience is with you or you're trying new material for the first time, knowing, I, I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm, I'm going to float this out there and try to overcome maybe the, the internal dialogue or the soundtrack that that's running in my head. How much of the, the soundtracks are taking place as you're speaking? Well, I mean, I, I look at it like I bomb online. I, 
I don't bomb events. So like by the time the material is on a stage, I've tested it with online audiences so many times. So I'll bomb a joke or a story, but like not a whole thing because I've structured the whole thing and I've worked on it. And like, I know stuff's going to land, but there's always times where like a joke worked in Charlotte that didn't work in Portland. Exactly. Or a joke yeah. where like that happens. And so I, you know, in moments like that, what the soundtrack I listen to is it'll either be a success or a story. Like I'm getting one of the two things out of this, a success or a story. And if it bombs, like then I'll get a story and I'll share that story and it'll encourage somebody else and it'll be funny. Um, the other thing is like in those moments, like I know I can sit on it. Like if I make a mistake or something doesn't go right, you can sit on it or you can move on by. Sit on it like, okay, it was, it was obvious enough that I need to talk about it and like make an even bigger joke about it. Um, or I move on by and most people don't even notice it. What I'm noticing, most people in the audience aren't even noticing. Every speaker has had that moment where somebody comes up and goes, man, I love that thing you said. It was really meaningful. And you go, what did I say? And they tell you something you didn't say. And they heard what they needed to hear, which is the yeah. magic of public speaking. But you didn't say that exact thing. And so I always also have to remember, like, even if I make a mistake that feels neon, like chances are the, you know, the audience didn't see it that way. I was at a, a live event the other day and there was this really like adorable 23 year old young musician that was opening up for this other person. He was super nervous and like we all wanted him to win. Yeah. And he pronounced the opening act's name wrong, like very wrong. And like, I don't, I mean, we all kind of chuckled about it, but none of us were like, I hate that kid. Like, I hate him. We were like, oh yeah, he made a mistake. And I'm sure he knew, I'm sure backstage his, you know, his uh, like band was like, dude, you said that guy's name so wrong. Like, and like, I didn't, but the audience, we didn't take it as like, that's a terrible thing. So that's the other thing I remind me is that when you're a speaker, you're trying to close the gap, in my opinion, between the stage and the audience, you're already different. You're on a stage. So when you make a mistake, that makes you human. And being made human is not a bad thing. Right. Um, and, you know, and, and the mistake, unless the mistake is something like you swore or something really like over the top. Um, but for the most part, like I've had jokes not go well that I was just trying for the first time. I'm like, oh, good to know. Like, good to know that is I'm taking that one off the rotation. But you also learn like I did a comedy show a couple of years ago and looking back on it. I should have done some crowd work. I just was intimidated by it. I should have opened up with like, cause I had a joke like 10 minutes in that worked well as an opener. I just didn't understand it. So like I came out and did essentially like all comedy, but I should have come out and been like, if I had said at the very beginning, cause it's all my friends, all my family members, you Dude, were I was there. there. You yeah. I was sitting with your parents. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it was like a, it was kind of like the end of uh, it's a wonderful life because they just sit you like my, the guy who runs my UPS stores there, my dental hygienist was there. Like <laughs> it was like the end of wonderful life. But if I had come out and said, can we just be honest that like, maybe this is going to suck, you know, cause everybody, like everybody there had this tension of like, Oh, John, I hope this is good. Like, I hope this is. And if I had said that it would have relaxed the room, but like, right. instead I started with a joke and like, so you just look back and you learn and you get better and you kind of repeat it. But yeah, I would say that's the, there are soundtracks playing in my head during that, but the soundtrack, you know, I've got like at this point in I'm 10 years in. So I'm like, I'm going to crush this. Like, I'm going to crush this. Like this content is good. Like I know this stuff, like I've put in the work, like I, you know, I do so much repetition that I, uh, by the time I get up there, like I'm ready to go. Like I feel unleashed, not, you know, the only time I'd say I really bombed was, um, or like the main time I remember there were two times 
One was at a music festival and I had no business speaking at a music festival. Like that was just so dumb. Um, it was like middle of the day. So there wasn't even spotlights to point people's attention. There was like, they were expecting Lecrae, this rapper to come out. And instead I come out for 30 minutes and teach like, I'm like, what's the deal? Like, oh, terrible. dude, it was the 30 longest minutes. And you can watch people leave to go to the other stage. Like, cause somewhere music's happening and like, there's all these disappointed teenagers who did not come to the music festival for like a motivational speech. I sold zero books that day. I remember sitting there with at the book table with Brian Elaine. Brian Elaine was there, our, our mutual friend. Yep. That time I really bombed. The other time I bombed, um, I, had, I got to the event and a client was like, hey, why don't you add three other five minute kind of things you do during the event? And we hadn't discussed that. And I didn't have the maturity yet to go, Hey, you know what? Like, that's not going to go well for either of us. Like I'd, I'm so honored that you'd ask me to do additional things, but because we didn't discuss that and I don't have something prepared, like you should use those five minutes a different way. Now in my mid forties, I would say that yeah. then I was like, okay, I can do that. And I got up and it was like three separate bombing moments that I definitely remember. But that was because I said, you know, again, I said yes to the wrong thing. But sometimes it, it, like I remind speakers, like sometimes a, a talk doesn't go well. And sometimes it's you as the speaker of what did I not do well? Or was I not prepared? Like you mentioned, uh, I was put into a situation where maybe I should have said, nah, this wouldn't, this isn't going to work. And here's why. Sometimes it's the audience where uh, maybe the, the, the you're, you're speaking at the end of a long conference or at the end of a long day, or uh, the, the CEO got up right before you and delivered some bad news. And now please yeah. welcome to the stage, John Acuff. And you're, you're, you're walking into a setting that's not ideal. And sometimes it's the environment, meaning that I remember speaking at a, a session several years ago that was, uh, I did a keynote for 2000 people. And then right after they wanted me to do a, uh, a workshop for about 50 people in the same room. Now a, a keynote for 2000 people in a room that seats 2000 people is awesome, but a, a workshop in a room that seats 2000 people for 50 people sucks. And it's yeah. the environment. It's something that you have to make do with. So sometimes there's these things that are outside of your control, whether it's the environment or the audience or the, the setting or whatever it may be. Um, but what else I'd be curious, like, as you're on stage uh, and you're delivering the presentation and the talk, there's a lot of soundtracks going through your own mind of, is this working? Oh, they just laughed at this, or they yeah. didn't laugh as much as I thought they would, or I can't tell if they're fully engaged. And so it feels like as a speaker, you're delivering a presentation, you're fully present in the moment, but there's also, there's a dozen conversations and soundtracks playing in your mind oh, at the yeah. same time, thinking through like, like you're like constantly editing and cutting and, and tweaking things yeah. on the fly in the moment. So how do you manage that? How do you contain that and still deliver a great product without the soundtracks overwhelming you? Well, so like one thing I do is I say, I, one of my soundtracks is look for, look for the person who's smiling. So like I try to find a handful of people who are engaged and deliver the presentation to them. Yeah. And then another soundtrack is the angry person could just be thinking hard. Like, so some, like when I was young, I'd see somebody who looked like they hated my content and were like frowning. And then like, often the person I thought who hated it the most would come up to me after and go, that was so meaningful. Like it gave me so much to think about. I go, Oh, I was judging their face, <laughs> like as if they hated me, but that's right, just right. their thinking face. Right. So like, I try to give, like, I try to remember that, like, okay, like that's what, you know, um, and then, yeah, so I'm, I'm running through that. I'm running, like, I'm trying to hit the time, you know, like mm -hmm. that's the other thing is like, you want the time to go well, but often what I'll do is the day before the event or even the morning of, I'll give the entire speech in my hotel room, yep. in my office, if it's virtual, um, even if it's something that I've shared a lot of times, because I want to, I want to add some nuance. I want to change some things. I want to, you know, 
And so having that gives me the confidence. And then also like, I bring up my phone to every event, every event I use my phone as my timer. So it's like my safety blanket. So like I have it in airplane mode. I have it on the stopwatch. I put it on the table with the water and I have that. So I always control, like I control the things I can control. Yep. Cause like, if you show up half the time, they go, yeah, we've got a clock. It's in the back. It's analog. It's a thousand yards away. And like, I can't read an analog clock easily on my wrist. Like when I'm <laughs> not nervous or intense and engaged. Um, and so, yeah, so I think I try to make it, I tell speakers, make it as easy as yourself, as, as easy on yourself as possible. Yeah. So like if you, if you are trying to memorize 10 people's names for stories and you know, you're going to mess them up, like don't yeah. like one person's name that you get right is worth more than the 10 you get wrong. Like why add additional tight ropes? Like it's already challenging, like be kind to yourself. So I think about all those things, um, you know, constantly, I'm constantly kind of like, you're right. There's like a million dials you're working on and you're going, okay, well let's, let's see what this one did. Like, I mean, I, yeah, I, I said to some group of dentists once, like I made a joke about mouth science and I don't think that went over well. Like, and I was like, <laughs> did I insult them? Cause it certainly wasn't my intent. My mom's a dental right. hygienist. Like I grew up around dentists. Like I actually really, I've already mentioned my dentist twice on this um, <laughs> podcast. So like, but I remember being like, did that insult them saying mouth science? Cause I was just trying to have fun with it. Cause I think it's funny. Like I've got a joke right now about um, how nobody saw the pandemic coming based on um, makeup sales, like makeup, lipsticks down, eyes, makeup is up statistically because of masks. And so I always go like no one at Revlon um, last year was like, I think our 2020 is going to be real tough for the mouth division. <laughs> like, I think our mouth team is going to have some challenges, but our eyeball division will do great. Cause like, that's funny to me to think that they would call something the mouth division. And like, I think in that case it works. But when I said mouth science, the dentist, I think they were like, Oh, well don't denigrate, you know, what we do. And that was not my intent. So you're like, okay, scratch that one out. But that's super specific. Like I'll never, right. like, I'm not going to talk to a hundred different dental events, but believe me, you, I will never say mouth science again when I do. <laughs> It's a sensitive topic. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's wrap up with this. So uh, one of the things that you touched on was you you, you uh, held up even a piece of paper there, a note card of uh, ask for more. So what are some other things that we can do to insert new, positive, better soundtracks in our lives? Um, specific is sexy. Like that's another one for me. Like the more specific I am with the joke, the more specific I am with the information, the more specific I am with the detail, the, the better the speech is. So that's another one that like when I'm trying to feel lazy and trying to write something general, I look at that one, it's on my wall. So specific is sexy. I'm like, oh, that's right. Like a specific story would be funny. Like a specific word would be funny. A specific detail would show that I crafted this. It wasn't accidental. Um, and so like, that's another one for me is like specific is sexy. Um, another one, you know, I, like I have one on my wallet says people are trying to give you money. Like, cause I don't want to go into negotiations. Like, Oh, remember that time 10 years ago when somebody screwed you, like everybody's trying to screw you. So I have, I have to actively work against that. Right. Um, and then like, have fun. Like, here's the thing. A soundtrack can be anything. It can be a song lyric. It can be a question. It can be a statement. It can be just do it from Nike. Like you get to just choose which thoughts you'll listen to. Um, so like have fun could be one because sometimes we put all this pressure on ourselves and we miss the fun of the moment. And then we reflect on it in the car ride home or on the plane ride home, but like have fun in the moment. Like the thing you're doing is special. Like the thing getting to stand on stage is special. Getting to hear laughter is special. Um, and so it can be as simple as that of going like, Oh, that's right. Like, don't take yourself so seriously. Like this right. is, this is really fun. And like, 
it's amazing you get to do this and and i can't wait for live events to come back like i'm i'm thrilled we're getting there the book is soundtracks a surprising solution to overthinking go pick it up it's out everywhere now uh john where else uh, can we find you if we want to stalk you online uh, where, where can yeah. we go well if you want to read the first chapter for free it's just soundtracksbook.com uh, my website is acup.me. The big thing I'd say, go check out the podcast. Um, I've got a podcast called All It Takes is a Goal. Um, if you today laughed at all or thought, oh, that's interesting. I'd like to hear a little more of that. Go check out the podcast. I think you'll dig it. Thanks for the time, man. Thanks, dude. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab Podcast. And before you take off, don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review within iTunes. We read every single one of those. It helps, it helps other people to find the show. Listen, we, we don't charge anything for you to listen to these. We don't have any ads or anything. We do this because we want to serve and support speakers like you. So one small favor we ask of you is that you would leave us some type of a rating and review. And again, we really, really do appreciate that. If you're looking for more help, support as a speaker as you build and grow your business at whatever stage you're at, don't forget to check out thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. We got a ton of free resources and tools over there. So again, check it out over at thespeakerlab.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We appreciate you hanging out with us. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.